confusion and ambiguity are not your friends. You must know what it is you want to do. After you have um, uh, articulated what that is, you have to make some sort of a tangible, tactical plan to get you where you want to go. Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And with us today, our guest is Margaret Leoy, who serves as CEO of Chamber Music America. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you. It's nice to see you. Fantastic to see you. So I thought we might just start right off by, you know, you are at the helm of Chamber Music for the country. What kind of really comprises chamber music? Because I think a lot of times people think, okay, you know, here's the orchestra league, and I get that there's a bunch of big orchestras, or here's Opera America, there's opera, or here's dance companies. But once it gets to chamber music, sometimes people seem to be a little less sure of what does that include, how many chamber ensembles are there, kind of. So if you could just share with us a little more, what is the landscape of chamber music? And what do you see really as the primary role for Chamber Music America and for you? Well, Chamber Music America was founded in 1977 by 34 chamber musicians. And it was founded primarily because there were no funding organizations that funded independent musicians. So when they formed Chamber Music America, the definition that our founding mothers and fathers created was music for small ensembles between two and 10 musicians with one musician per part, generally without a conductor. But they never stipulated any kind of style of music. They did not say chamber music began in 1450 and goes until, you know, present day. So the founder of Chamber Music America was a wonderful early musician named Michael Jaffe, who recently passed. And he was such a visionary because it was his idea not to uh, limit what the style of chamber music was, but just to say it's really any music that is a small ensemble with one musician per part. So for many years, so Chamber Music America is now 43 years old. And probably for maybe the first 20 or so, uh, we were made up primarily of traditional Western classical musicians and the music that they played. Then we, uh, we began to have a program for jazz musicians, for jazz music. Um, through the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. And that happened uh, just at the same time I was coming on in 2000. And um, that fit perfectly 
with the definition of chamber music. Because if you think of jazz ensembles, not jazz big bands, but you know, small jazz ensembles, they are one musician per part, generally, well, they, they don't have a conductor, uh, and they are, you know, usually three, five, seven. Now they're getting a little bit larger, but they, uh, we make the cutoff at 10. So for chamber music in today's culture, in today's landscape, it is every kind of style of small ensemble music, from early music to the Western classical music, to Eastern classical music and different uh, elements, different instruments, uh, to vocal music and percussion. You know, we have some uh, ensembles that are only percussion ensembles. So it's an incredibly diverse field in terms of the musical style. And, and one, um, uh, example that I like to use is uh, we have a classical wind quintet uh, and you know it has five members and there's an oboe player who is a, a permanent member of that ensemble but he also is a jazz musician and has his own jazz ensemble so when you when you realize the kind of work musicians are doing now in contemporary society, it makes perfect sense that Chamber Music America would have this wide umbrella under which all different kinds of artists can find a home. So with that kind of breadth, how do you serve what must be some varying needs, right? Or do you kind of focus in or how do you serve such a broad constituency? Well, um, you know, I think if you asked uh, our constituency, they would have many different answers. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are so many common needs among artists and among presenters that really don't have anything to do with the kind of music they play. For example, musicians, you know, want to play. It doesn't matter what they're playing. That is the primary thing that they want to do. And composers want to compose whatever kind of music they like. People want to be able to, you know, buy a home. People want to be able to, um, you know, uh, have health insurance. People want to promote their music. It, none of that has anything to do with the style of music. It just has to do with where artists are in our society. How does society value artists, think of artists? What do artists have to do to promote themselves? Really has nothing to do with the kind of music they're playing. So when we are thinking of our services, we have professional development seminars and workshops, for example. We generally don't have them 
this is for classical and this is for jazz. We will find the topic that is the universal topic. And then anyone who wants to know about that topic can sign up for the workshop. Similarly, we publish Chamber Music Magazine, which I, I know you read, and you will see in there that the feature articles may have um, a slant toward uh, you know, may feature a jazz musician or a jazz presenter, but the concept that we are trying to get across and trying to um, trying to bring information to the field is a much bigger concept. So that's how we think uh, we serve the field the best. Awesome, awesome. So as you kind of have viewed you know, all of this breadth of, of chamber music and, and what ensembles are doing today, and especially, you know, given the pandemic, are you seeing any shifts or, or any trends that you think aren't just necessarily reactionary, but might actually lead to some evolutions of how chamber ensembles bring their art to their audiences or to their communities? Are you, are you seeing anything kind of take place that, that has either given you pause or made you take notice? You know, we are, how many, I'm not even really sure, has it been six weeks, something like six, maybe, maybe we're in our seventh week. And to all of us who are living this right now, it seems like, oh, it, it has been six months or maybe even a year, but it's been only a few weeks. And in that time, um, we have seen a lot of musicians really pivot how they do their work, which I which I, I'll talk a little bit more in a moment. But I think the important thing, uh, certainly at CMA, that we talk about is at the moment everyone is in crisis. This is a crisis. It's a crisis, a health crisis, but also an economic crisis, and in some ways a field crisis, because this particular field of playing in small groups, our ensembles are not even permitted at present to be in the same room. So many of them you know, tried um, different platforms to, could they play together but not be together? And we have a group actually that's been doing, you know, kind of experimenting and doing some work in that regard. Um, so I, so I think, you know, artists are the most creative. They're just so creative. And even though they're in the middle of a crisis, they're, they're thinking about, okay, you know, I have to connect with my audience and how am I going to do that? And we have all seen people in their homes giving concerts and putting them, you know, out there for people to enjoy. I think after the crisis comes the recovery period. The recovery period is going to be very long. It's going to be much longer than anyone wants to believe that it's going to be. And I think that some of the ideas that our members and others are coming up with in terms of maintaining a connection are going to be incorporated into the way 
we access music. So for example, you know, presenters had concert series and that's, you know, you went to their hall and you heard concerts. I, I feel quite confident that that practice will return. It may not return as quickly as we would like. So even, even when it returns though, I think there may be a component of online programming that may be more available for senior audiences that don't like to drive at night, for example, or youth audiences, or, you know, general audiences. But I, it, in much the same way as when we go to the airport now, you know, after 9-11, there were so many ways that you had to adjust to travel. Mm-hmm. I think this is like that. There's so many ways that we now have to adjust and communicating online. Uh, I think that will subside, but I don't think it will, uh, we will completely eliminate it because there are many sort of wonderful things about being able to connect with people over many miles. Right. So one of the questions I always like to ask, and unfortunately, I'm sorry, we're already running short on time, um, but is I always like to ask guests for three things, right? Are there three things, they could even just be words or concepts that as you think about musicians wanting to build a career in chamber music, those who are already there, who are trying to evolve what they do, potentially even administrative capacity, whoever you might want to speak to the most, but are there three kind of things or concepts or aspects that you think these are critical to keep in mind as you are trying to further your opportunities that relate to chamber music? So I do think there are three things. I think the first thing is know what it is you want to do because confusion and ambiguity are not your friends. You must know what it is you want to do. After you have um, uh, articulated what that is, you have to make some sort of a tangible, tactical plan to get you where you want to go. You can't just wait for something to happen. You have to make that happen. And the, the third thing is, I think in it, that could be actually the first thing, um, is utilize your mentors. There are wonderful people in our field who have already done what it is you want to do. But you have to be the one to ask them to help you, ask for their advice. One of the things that I wish I had known when I was a young musician was mentors don't seek you out and ask to be your mentor. You have to find the people that you think will be helpful to you and ask them. And I think that combination of knowing what you want to do, making a plan and asking people to help you, that is a winning combination. Awesome, awesome. Well, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. One last just quick question. You know, you're, you're cooped up, if you will, at home, and sometimes there might be these challenges and, and things may feel overwhelming. What do you do for inspiration? Where do you find inspiration, that strength to, 
you know, make it through the tough times? You know, um, I, especially in this particular situation, I have once again started to play the piano, which I had not done for a very long time, just because my job is all consuming. And I have found the greatest comfort and also the greatest um, joy in playing music again myself. So uh, doing that has helped me also realize how important artists are in our society. And I get very rejuvenated um, from playing music and from listening to music. It's been, uh, so, it's been a wonderful rediscovery for me. Awesome. Well, Margaret Leoy, you truly are one of the great arts engines that is powering human creativity in our world. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Thank you.